You're listening to All The Best. I'm Danny Stewart. This week, we're cooking up a feast. But first, we need something to drink. Now, the, the, the first thing uh, is the fruit like jump in your face, which I really like. And remember, like, we remember like, when we were, it was fermenting, like, you, you've still got this fresh raspberry and fruit. Chardonnay, but very, like, earthy, very like um, full, like full flavors, quite meaty. Then you got like the the length of the wine, which come with the acidity, the tannins. It's pretty soft. It's pretty like all gentle. It's pretty sexy. Juicy, like dark cherries, forest floor, like. Yeah, it smells like raspberry yogurt. Confectionery. Yeah. <laughs> Um, fairy floss. Oh, it tastes like um, strawberries and cream. Candy cane. A bit of vanilla. Mm. Like red frogs. It's too sweet. Like Super duper. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always think of, like, you know, walking through, like a like, a dark forest, you know? And that's that. And I always get it with, with the Pinot down here. Yeah, because you feel you feel more the link. You feel really the link to the house with this one, actually. When we've been picking it, you know, like the great one. So does that mean it actually smells like the ground mm. from here? Literally smells. Yeah, a little bit smoky. Yeah. I mean, sort of. There's always smoke. smokiness to it. A bit saline as well. Go in the in the vineyard and then you grab a bit of herbs and then you smell it. It smells a little bit like this, but dry, like really dry. Um, like every vineyard or any, you know, is is all unique everywhere around the world. It's all they all have their own terroir, but um, but yeah, this is just one that that we're you know we're working with. Now we're in the in the hay shed where we've been fermenting barrels this year. So these are wines that were made just over the last um, month and a half. And it'll it's it's sort of like a newborn child, you know. Like it'll it it'll grow and it'll change in the next, you know, and develop into something in the next, you know, few months. Sometimes we leave them for longer. Sometimes we. You know, we take them out. And how do you, how do you, how do you know when they're ready? Taste, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that story was produced by Eugenia Zubchenko. In our next story, Karen asked her dad to teach her recipes from their home country of Hong Kong. Thank you, um, man, man. Uh, uh, okay, so, um, Karen, uh, I'm changing a look to my, um, My name is Karen, or in Cantonese, Zhang Zhang. I'm 22 years old, and this is Releasing Steam. Do her favorite song. A little 
So, how do you think this is going to go? Uh, Growing up, I couldn't exactly call my lunchbox a box because, well, it wasn't. Not even remotely square, but round and accompanied by a spoon because my mom was adamant on sending me to school every day with a meal that was hot and filling. And more often than not, that meant my thermos was filled with either fried rice or braised vermicelli noodles. I distinctly remember asking my mum to give me more ham and lettuce sandwiches, because, well, there was something thrilling at the time about having perfectly cut triangles for lunch. I tried to enjoy it, I really did. But I'd be lying to myself if I said I preferred mildly soggy white bread with cold chicken compared to the flavour bomb that was Jimmy's satay sauce. That's not to say that I didn't like Western food at all. I loved Villetto fish burgers and barbecued ribs. And with Australia's multicultural foodscape, I really can't complain. It is, however, rather ironic that this has worked to my detriment because today I'm a so-called foodie, a hobby chef, a home cook enthusiast, if you will. Carbonara the traditional way, pizza from scratch, I've got them all covered. The catch? If you throw a Cantonese recipe my way, you'd better hope you have a backup meal in the freezer. It occurred to me rather recently that while I've grown up my entire life eating it, I don't actually know how to cook food from my own culture. Sure, I have a deep appreciation for it, and goodness knows it runs in my family. So maybe it's ignorance stopping me, or maybe it's something else. To answer that, we have to take a little step backwards in time. And there's one person I need to help me out along the way. Alright, can you introduce yourself to everybody? Who are you? What is your relation to me? My name is Chong Sing Chen. And I am Kevin Stay. Like most first generation children and their parents, my dad and I have a rather complicated relationship. Yeah, I told you. No, I still haven't I could have talked to my mom instead. It's not like she doesn't have a lot to say. But my mom cooks out of necessity. My dad, out of passion. Would you say that cooking is one of your biggest hobbies? All my bags are packed, 
My parents migrated to Australia 20 years ago with perhaps slightly different intentions to what you'd first think. They'd both climbed the corporate ladder in their respective jobs, but paid the price by having nannies taking care of both my brother and I. They wanted a more relaxed life, a life with less pressure for both them and my brother and I growing up. Of course, the hardest part was leaving their parents and extended family behind, but the changing political situation was really the nail in the coffin as a sign to go. Here, they gained time and, in a way, freedom. And what did my dad do with that? What he loved best, cooking and eating. It's important to note that from the very beginning, I was already aware of my conflicting cultural identities. Yep, that was four-year-old me, caught on tape, saying pretty plain and clear, I don't like Hong Kong. My reasoning back then was, well, understandable for a four-year-old. There's nothing to play with there. And I guess in a way, that still rings true. As I grew older, going back became less of an escapist adventure, and more like a duty. But every time, there's always one thing that would never fail to brighten up my trip. Do you remember what my favorite food to eat back in Hong Kong was? You, uh, yes. Clearly, he's spot on. Gaidanzai are basically the Cantonese equivalent of waffles. My dad describes the best ones with the phrase, which basically translates to crispy on the outside and soft on the inside. Okay, well, what do you think of my cooking? So he says it's pretty good because I went to Italy and got to taste what their authentic pasta was like. So you appreciate the Wow, thank you. So he compliments me. But then gives a subtle dig that I add too much sugar to my desserts. Well then, would you say that Cantonese or Asian desserts are typically much less sweet? What was like some of the desserts that you liked eating back in Hong Kong? Because I know when we go back, it's one of our favorite things to go and eat Hong Kong street desserts. Yeah, 
散塔啦，啊。What are we making today? Today we are going to make egg tart. Okay, but what is it in Cantonese? Egg tart in Cantonese is tan tart. Better to have a, the edge a little bit up outside the mold. Because it's gonna shrink. Then, yeah, and then you can hold more custard. How does this look? Yeah, good. Is it too thin? Is no, no. Put the, the the bottom. Don't make it too too thick. Remember. Oh yeah, like last time. Where do you think makes the best dan tart out of all the bakeries that you've tried? Ah, uh, in Australia you can't find a good one. Really? And, uh, no. Sometimes you, you, you can have the the um the puff pastry and uh yeah. egg tart. You can find good one in um yum cha yum cha place, the Chinese restaurant. And um, yeah, for normal bakery, and uh, it is pretty hard to find a good one. And but in Hong Kong, the good good one everywhere because they're fresh. What about like the Dai Ban Dan Dai Ban is, is uh, average. <laughs> then what makes what makes a good Dan Fresh. Fresh. And the custard is warm and and um, silky smooth. Yeah, if we had a guy dance mold, then I would have made us make guy dance instead. Guy dance. But unfortunately, we do not. Next time when we go back to Hong Kong, we buy one back. Well, when are we going to go back though? Are you reshaping mine? That was my favorite thing to eat in Hong Kong. What was your favorite food to eat growing up? 因為細個就就冇錢啦，啊咁咧就唔能夠可以食到一啲係誒多啲選擇嘅食物，咁啊一日可能得係 ten cents Australian dollar 喎，五十年前咁樣。You can hear me gasping because my dad is telling me about how he only had the equivalent of 10 Australian cents to buy lunch. 我又中意食呢個係牛腩，即係 beef 嘅係 biscuit. He loved beef brisket, but didn't have enough money to get the meat or even the sauce toppings. So he just ordered plain noodles and asked the owner very nicely to give him some sauce for free. 牛腩嘅汁嗰啲 sauce 我咁樣。And because the brisket was cooked in the same pot, maybe, just maybe, he'd also catch some slivers of meat in there. 
嗰個 owner， 咁佢喺不執嘅時候咧，就可能不到少少啲肉啲 meat 喺度咧，啊咁咧就有啲啊有啲啊特別開心啊。And it's these little things that made him very happy. Where was this store located? In what area? 都係喺我屋企住喺屋企嘅係樓下嗰度啦。我哋嗰陣係住一啲 public housing 咁樣啊，係啲 unit 咁樣。大窩口咧就係我哋我細個咧就一出世嗰陣咧就已經喺嗰度住。He tells me that the restaurant was located right where he grew up, a place called Dai Wo Hao, and that the buildings were now long demolished. 就呢個加份文咧，政府咧就咧係拆咗佢 demolish， 然後咧。It's not like I haven't heard stories like this before, but every time I do hear them. It never fails to strike me just how different things were the way me and my brother grew up in comparison. Not only the fact that we never had to know what it was like to have to worry about having enough food to put on the table, but the opportunities that we had instead. Overseas travel, spontaneous road trips, listening to none other than Dad's favorite, Nora. Sunrise, sunrise. Swimming lessons and learning to play the piano, even if I was stubborn and hated it back then. It's a contrast that we often sweep under the table because here, well, we don't talk about our feelings. Now would have been the opportune moment to tell him just how grateful I am, but I don't. Because, well, for being honest, I cowered out and felt too awkward. But I know he's going to listen to this, so, Dad, I just wanted to say thank you. That story was produced by Karen Cheng. Lee Redfern was the supervising producer. You can find a longer version of Karen's story linked on our website, allthebestradio.com. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Danny Stewart. At All the Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. This week on All the Best, we're cooking up a feast and exploring how food can bring us together. Part one. On the flight back to Sydney, I reread the last text my brother sends me. The first I've heard from him in almost three months. The blinds are down. The cabin dimmed to a mezzotint. Darkness softened by warm pockets of overhead light by the small white screen in my hand. Felix had sent a video file, timestamped 04-01-2008. The grey message bubble underneath reads, "Found this on our old laptop." I tap play out of habit. Watch as a round-faced girl bounds into being and sticks out her tongue. Then two boys pop into view. They give each of her cheeks a pinch before shoving her aside. 
Testing, testing, they holler, knocking their fists against the lens. A thrum of recognition. This is one of those faded days, back when Felix had ambitions to be a director and our friend Manny wanted to do stunts. I supplied my Barbie bike when needed and said in the blank voice I perfected at 13 that I wanted no part in the danger, though I secretly did. At sunset, we strapped a laptop to the bike seat with duct tape, leaving some wriggle room up front for Manny to sit. The plan was for Felix to tell him on a skateboard while the front-facing camera captured his tricks live. It's gonna look right out of Mission Impossible 3, Felix said, but grittier, full shaky cam and everything. I sat on the curb, watching as Manny pedaled fast down the stretch of railroad parade, Felix performing smooth ollies close behind. The laptop listed from side to side like a Beyblade right on the edge of toppling. But the fall never came. An invisible wire connected the two boys, the fast-moving wheels beneath them. Now and then a train screeched past in a metallic bolt of sound. This is all being recorded, I had thought. The moment will exist forever. By the third take, I was itchy with jealousy. Can I have a turn, I whinged. You're pedaling so slow. That's because I'm riding a little girl's bike, Manny said. How can I work under these conditions? But he grinned and laid the bike gently against the curb. Manny helped me strap on the helmet, his knuckles leaving hot imprints against my temples. And just like that, I was set. Right like the wind bullseye, the boys hollered. Now that I was in the rider's seat, I could feel the thud of tires against gravel, the laptop hot against my back as the fan whirred in tune with the breeze. One story houses in their yards collapsed into a blur of banana trees and ciggy butts and wire fencing. The pink throat of the sky gaped wide, wide, wider. That night, Felix and I propped the laptop up on our shared windowsill and assembled a rough cut. Despite our slicing and shuffling, the footage was still thronged with grain, silhouettes blotted out by erratic flares of light. The sound was muffled, fart-like, a result of the wind knocking against the mic. But I couldn't stop watching. On screen, Felix was reduced to a faraway gangle of limbs, a mop of black hair. I couldn't see the prominent mole against his neck, nor his thick brows, high cheekbones. The figure looked exactly like me. In the plane cabin, the lights around me begin winking out, my phone the final star. There's no air turbulence. We're aloft and still steady. But a slight tremor rattles its way through my fingers. I replay the video, recognize myself anew. It's me flipping the skateboard with my heels, me throwing my head back, arms spread, peering from across the deep gully of time. Part two. Outside of visits to the local grocer and jogs around the block, I haven't left the house in weeks. I'm fading in stages, the curve of my hips melting into sheets, pale toes translucent against wood floors. My days find shape in the rhythm of smells, mornings of steaming coffee, afternoons and nights of sizzling garlic, bubbling soups. I get up, eat my fill, stumble back under covers, stop and rewind and replay, until one afternoon, Ma flicks me in the forehead with her finger. We're going to Westfield, she says. You make dinner. Remember to turn off the gas or you'll die. The spot on my head stings. I'm not as formless as I thought. When the Camry squeals away, I pick up my phone. Dial the number I know better than my own. Get over here, I say. I want to make Ma and Ba something nice. What's that got to do with me, Felix asks. His voice is slurred and muffled. I imagine a mouth stuffed with jalapeno Cheetos, raining debris on the carpet of his new apartment. 
My toe rubs against the or an orange spot on the floor, a relic of our childhood bedroom sharing. I'm making noodles and I appreciate some support. From scratch, he asks, you should learn how to crack an egg first. After 15 minutes of me whinging and Felix scrambling for his keys, my brother finally plods towards the car. Through the speaker, I recognize the timber of his steps against pavement, the contours of his lazy gait. The invisible cord connecting us grows more elastic every day, looping across creeks and suburbs and bridges, but I never seem to stop tugging. Making hand pool noodles involves taking lumps of dough, softened by oil and nutritional yeast, and pretending you're back in preschool, where days stretch out like putty in your hands. Felix and I twist and roll and punch the dough, hyper-aware we're in a high-stakes showdown where either the ingredients or our bodies will submit. Flour dusts our nose, our sleeves are rolled up to our elbows. We exist only to need. We've been doing it since the age of six, a skill like most of our parents' skills, passed down vaguely from generations. A game of telephone, where recipes become crappier with each successive retelling, until one day my descendants will ask, why don't I get takeout instead? Still, we avoid consulting Google for help. Your mixture is off, Felix says, shaking his head. Your, te your technique is sloppy, I fire back, but our hands don't cease the flow of constant motion. There's alchemy to preparing food that I've always enjoyed. Like spellcasting, it involves a balancing act of matter, measurement, and hope. When we begin pulling the dough, looping it around our fingers and yanking it out over and over again, I begin grafting my hopes onto the patterns of our fingers. I'll remember to call my brother more often, Paul. My parents will enjoy this meal, weave. The coming year will only be slightly shit, yank. Our parents arrive home as the noodles are boiling in a pot of lamb broth. Manny ambles in behind them, carrying a cheap bottle of rosé. He works as a stuntman up in Queensland these days and is only in the area every few months. My hand twitches at his presence, as if the mundane magic of dough weaving manifested him, not Felix texting him on the drive up. At the table, we all wait with bated breath when Bar twirls his chopsticks around the chilli slathered noodles. He blows on the heap for a few seconds before bringing it to his lips. A moment or two of thoughtful chewing, then, bit soft, he says. Felix, Manny and I whoop and cheer and clap each other on the back. The lack of itemised complaints was high praise. Bar coughs up a laugh. The wrinkles around his mouth deepen. He winds his chopsticks around the noodles once again, gathering and gathering. That story was written and read by Claire Cow, with sound design by Persephone Waxman. Claire first told this story at Boundless Festival of Indigenous and Culturally Diverse Writers. You can listen back to All the Best episode 481 to hear more performances from the festival. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website where you can browse our full archive of almost 500 episodes. Just search allthebestradio.com. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarong lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Emma Pham is our social media producer and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. 
This episode was mixed and compiled by Donnie Janks. Shiningberg composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. If you liked this week's stories, make sure you subscribe to All The Best on your favourite podcast app and share this episode with someone you love to cook with. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening. <laughs>